Our Father, we now come to you again this morning asking for you to speak and to guide us. What we are not, we pray that you would make us by your word. What we know not, we pray that you would teach us now by your word. And we pray that your spirit would fill us with the grace that you have shown to us in your word. May it transform our hearts. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning again to all of you, those of you who may be joining us for the first time or those of us joining online. You're certainly always welcome to be here. This is the time in the service where we now devote ourselves to the public reading in many ways and to the public explanation of Scripture. Now, not to be intentionally controversial right off the bat, but I, I think, at least it's in my personal right opinion, that watching basketball games at Gallagher-Iba Arena is actually the best place to watch college basketball altogether. Now, no offense to you Sooner fans, you have all the other sports that you play in college to where you typically beat OSU, but Gallagher-Iba Arena, the, atmos- the atmosphere there is just truly surreal. The amplification, the spirit of the students, the insanity of the fans, it is overwhelming. But there's always this comical occurrence that happens just before the game, every single game where the game is led to us by cheers and chants and songs that cause people to clap, at least at the beginning, on beat. And like every stadium where there's bad acoustics, maybe intentionally to make it more loud, people are clapping on beat and the band is going, and then all of a sudden people don't remember how to count one, two, three, four, and they start clapping in a different arrangement, and it just makes us look like backwater musicians who can't keep a beat. I wonder if you've ever sat next to someone in a church service where the song causes us to clap according to the song's measures, and there's always that one person in the room who just can't clap on beat. One of my best friends uh, grew up in a different culture where you clap on the one and the three, where all of us just clap on the two and the four. It's our instinct to clap on the two and the four. And and this poor guy just would always look around and be like, why is everyone clapping wrong? And we just all look at him and go, you're actually the musician in the room. There's a pretty famous clip uh, of the jazz, famous jazz New Orleans musician, Harry Connick Jr., where he is leading a band and audience and one of his most famous songs. And the natural thing to do for the people in the audience was to clap on the two and the four beat. But somehow at the very beginning of the song, all of the audience started clapping on the one and the three, and it took away actually from the effect of the song. Now, many people in this circumstance, they would just finish out the song, write it off as not one of their favorite times, and just move on, blame it on the crowd. But Harry Connick Jr., being a brilliant musician that he was, could instinctively see where the crowd was going, but throw in a fifth beat before starting the five, six, seven, eight. So you think of clapping on the one, two, three, four, five, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and all of a sudden, everyone is back on beat, and everyone's looking around going, hey, this song's pretty good. And Harry's at the piano going, no one knows what I just did. And it was remarkable to see how this one person saw everyone going in a certain direction. And it wasn't necessarily that it was wrong or bad or sinful, but they did just enough to get everyone back on beat. Though maybe abstract, I think this helps me think of the biblical role of a deacon, a servant to the sound of the gospel an accompaniment of the melody of the gospel message going out. Deacons, I think in our scriptures, and I think our scriptures show, are enablers 
of the message of Jesus going to the ends of the earth. So starting last week, if you haven't been with us for a couple of weeks, I started a uh, small or short three-week sermon series called Church Matters, where I just wanted to preach on some matters of our church. The first week was on the role or the biblical role of elders as leaders of the church. I picked this topic first because it's been more than five years since this topic has been addressed, at least up from this platform. And in the second week, or today, I wanted to talk about the role of deacons as servants of the church. I actually couldn't find any past messages on this in our church altogether, at least since we've had a website. And then next week, we'll talk about the role of church discipline as the love of the church. Uh, And I definitely don't think that this has been preached on or has been taught in this church, but this week... I want you to see that God's glorious plan for the church actually has qualified, enabling servants who assist people to know and better grasp the gospel. Like those people who are on the sides that that kind of push us in the right direction when we seem to go offbeat a little bit. So first, I just want to tell you what the biblical position of deacons are. The biblical position of the deacon. So if you're using an outline, I'm, I'm now on point one where I just want to talk about the biblical position of the role of the deacon. One qualification I want to make in our church is that in our governance, we have biblical elders, a biblical board of deacons, and actually a third category or groups of servants called teams, where we have a team of outreach or a team of finance and facilities, discipleship and worship, And we have some paid staff who work on behalf of the church that we just call church staff. So I want to take the the board of elders, those team and team leaders and the church staff, I want to clump those all together. So when I say deacons or servants, I actually mean that collaboration of people because in many ways they're doing the same thing in order to serve the gospel going out from our church. It's helpful to think of these three groups of people, deacons, team members, and staff, as deaconing. Now why? Because the terminology in the Bible uses the Greek word diakono, which means as a verb to serve or to minister, or as a noun, it means a servant. So when we think of deacons, I don't want you to necessarily think of a person or an office, but a serving person or a servant of the church. It's used 20 times in the New Testament as an active way to serve or to minister to people. It's used 29 times in the New Testament, depending on the tense of the word, as a servant, whether officially in office form or just someone who is obviously known as a servant to the church. In only three or four, three or four cases is it used in reference to an office holder. You know, you might think of someone as a mayor. They hold the office of mayor. When you think of someone as a deacon, actually a majority of the time, it's not someone who holds the office of a deacon, but it's someone who is serving the church for the advancement of the gospel. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn quickly to the book of Romans. The book of Romans in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, chapter 16. Romans chapter 16 verses 1. Romans 16, verse 1. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at St. Gria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. 
I want you to turn over a couple of books to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. So Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians, chapter 1, verse 1, where it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons or servants or ministers, diaconae. Now turn over one more time to the book of Timothy. So Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians. Now Timothy, Timothy chapter 3. Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. I love the sound of turning pages. You have no idea what encouragement is to me. And if you don't know where to go, just like flip the pages around. It'll still encourage someone else. It's totally fine. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. And then go down to verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. So we see here, at least in EMB's case, that we have both an official office of deacon and deaconess, as well as endless opportunities or endless amounts of people who serve or diakonos the church. So deacons, team leaders, staff, categories of deacons, we also elect deacons in the same way that we elect team leaders. So I just look at them all the same in terms of what they do for the church. Now, when it comes to a biblical position of deacons, I think there's a theological position of the deacons where deacons are called out as servants. The deacon has a theological position in Scripture. It's not just a practical one. In Acts 6, where it was read from earlier, Acts 6 serves as that theological implication from the Scriptures. So while we don't know when the office of deacon was set up, we may not know who the first deacons or deaconesses were in the church, we do have this prototype of what a deacon does and acts like and the reason, the theological and practical reason of why deacons exist in the church. The apostles who I think will show themselves eventually transitioning into elders throughout the New Testament, saw their role and calling as the ministry of the word and prayer. We saw this last week in talking about elders. What do elders need to spend time on? The right word and the right prayer. If you were gone last week, I spoke about this role and responsibilities, and this was done or clarified, at least in this way, because it allowed deacons to be raised up to do other pragmatic and theological things within the church. Now, for the church's leaders to steward their calling well, the word and prayer, they quickly appointed men to, it says there in Acts chapter 6, to serve tables. Serve tables. That word serve or helper is Greek for diakono. So the position of the deacon is a theological one. It accompanies the ministry of the word and prayer by serving or managing the church's practical growth so that the church isn't distracted or ununified in their own fellowship. Theologically, deacons serve the church by pulling together or by unifying the church's mission or advancement of the gospel. So if the rest in and advancement of the gospel is the mission of the church, people are called out to deacon or to serve this mission by encouraging others along their way or in their life. So the position is theological, but the position is also practical. The, the position of the deacon is a practical position. Look again at Acts 1. We can turn back over there. So if you're new to the Bible, 
you'll turn left and go to the big word at the top of the page that says Acts and look for the big number six. And there we have this case or the prototype of what deacons were doing in the New Testament. These were men who were chosen to serve the church and to handle the practical needs of the church. The church understood the importance of providing for the physical needs of people. As the church was expanding, so practically and physically think of more people coming into the church's fold, as the church was expanding, there was actually a giant tension growing within the church. The church understood the importance of this, but it was growing at such a rate that people were being left out. Now think about this practically. Let's say you have a husband and wife in one house with two kids an eight-year-old, and a nine-year-old. Then the family has another baby in the house. What tension typically happens in this normal household now with three children? Someone feels neglected. There is already a middle child syndrome, right? There's an older child or a younger child, or the husband looks at everyone else and says, yeah, I know that she went through birth, but what about me? I'm going through a lot of stuff too, right? As that, you can laugh. As the house was expanding, there was tension of people feeling like they were being left out. The, the family had another baby. Parents go from playing one-on-one or man-on-man defense to now zone defense because they're outnumbered by the kids. It's now an army against them. And in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, there was a, look at it there, there was a complaint by the Hellenists that arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Widows were being neglected. Greek-speaking Jewish women were being overlooked as the church was growing and caring for widows. You might think of a hundred people in a line who were going to receive an outpouring of care from the church, and some people were either skipped over or when it came time for them to receive something, ah, man, we ran out of time. We'll have to see you tomorrow, hopefully. Different cultures were tensing up, and as food was being passed out to the needy individuals, the church wasn't unified as a whole group was being overlooked. The existing church structure proved unable to meet the administrative demands with different cultures. It was, at best, messy, and at worst, showing opposition to the advancement of the gospel. If the gospel is something that brings us in where we are a people who are saved to a new people— where the gospel is clear that all of us actually have one thing in common. We are sinful and we're separate in our sinfulness, but God in his grace in sending Jesus to die for us on the cross and rising from the grave on the third day, that actually brings us into a different kind of unification than ever before. Once we were unified in our sin, now we are unified under the headship of Jesus as our Lord. And if the church is showing itself to respect some but disrespect others, that's just an affront on the gospel. You know, we might look around at our church or other churches or church history and go, this is something that happens all the time and not in a good way. How churches divide themselves over young people or old people, black people or white people, new people or people who have been here forever or people who were here when this carpet was green and then you've only shown up since it hasn't been green or maybe... You go to Sunday school and others go to life group or you have three kids, but I'm actually 65 and single. The church can really separate itself if it's not careful. And what the deacons were called out to do is to bring people back to the table and remind them of what the gospel is. 
And so the twelve, believing that their chief responsibilities to God's people were teaching and prayer, called other qualified people to take over or execute the work of the church by feeding practically the hungry. Now, it's important to note here that deacons execute ministry, and I, and I use that word specifically because I think deacons or I think elders are called to lead and to teach, to protect and to pray, but, but deacons are out there executing ministry. They're the ones getting it done within the church. Different churches designate executing ministries different. Think of our own executing ministries, discipleship all that falls under that. Outreach, all that falls under that. Sunday worship, all that falls under that. Finance and facilities, all that wouldn't happen if those things weren't happening. Not to mention the other ministries that fall under some of those. The the endless amount of ministry execution that has to go forth. And what the apostles are saying is that God has called us to teach and to pray, and so we are enabling deacons in order to execute this incredible ministry within our church. Each one is a ministry of the church's advancement of the gospel. That's why when some things are created or taken away, it's because we've just seen, man, there's great fruit in delegating authority or resources towards a different level of advancing the gospel. All, I think, are part of the church's cherishing the gospel, loving people, and being on mission, but they are executed by deacons or servants of the church theologically and practically. They were helping and assisting the people of God in their own worship. So there is a role of the deacon in the life of the church. There's a position of the deacon scripturally within the church, but then also there is a gospel aim of deacons. We see in the scriptures, there is a gospel aim of the deacons. And by this, I mean that that the deacons represent the gospel and promote the gospel. That's what deacons do within the life of the church. They represent the gospel and they promote the gospel. By representing, I mean that they are qualified. Now, before we jump into the First Timothy qualifications, I want us to stay in Acts 6 for a second. Look at Acts chapter 6, verse 3, where it says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, That one verse can tell us a lot about the qualifications of a deacon. We hear that their function is service and meeting the practical needs of the church. And it's easy to just think of this and go, oh, okay, just some good old boys who can help our church stay on mission. Not not exactly, though. It says, first, good repute. People know them to be upstanding individuals. It also says that they were full of the Spirit and wisdom. These are spiritual people, not just practical handymen. These are spiritual people who not only know God's word, but they apply it. That's what biblical wisdom is, the application of God's word in our own lives. So now let's turn over to 1 Timothy and see some of these qualifications, and I'll just read them briefly to you. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 8, going through verse 13. It says, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of their faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons and if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives must likewise be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well for those who serve well as 
deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So I'm not going to walk through each of these words in detail. We, we put out when we have nominations and elections for both deacons and elders and team leaders. We put out the qualifications of that. And if you have questions on qualifications, I'm more than happy to talk to you afterwards. But what I want you to see is that these are all character qualities. These aren't skilled or professional accolades. You know, you're not on an outreach team because you are an outgoing person. You're not on a finance team because you're rich. You're not on the carpet cleaning committee because you have a cordless vacuum, but rather these are character qualities. God is looking for a person of character to serve his church. Deacons play out their calling as the elders can likewise pursue their own calling. You see how these two things go hand in hand. So deacons are qualified, but deacons are also shock absorbers. Deacons are shock absorbers of the church. When you think of the two offices of the modern church, the, the elder, the office of the elder, is something that is often overlooked in modern churches. But the office of deacon is often something that is misunderstood. Unhelpfully, deacons in many churches operate like a second legislative body or a check on the congregation or the pastor. Like this is the final thing before things go off the cliff. Helpfully, though, deacons biblically act as serving, task-oriented persons or a group of people for the building up of the church. With elders, Lord willing, shepherding and leading, the church needs deacons to provide logistical and material support so that the members of the church can better do the work of the ministry and the elders can better shepherd and pray. So the deacon role is a heightened role, and it actually elevates the role of both the member and the other elders. As a shock absorber, the reason why I use that analogy, as a shock absorber, I think our church should continue to select deacons and servants based primarily for their godly examples and secondarily for their gifts of building up EMV. And frankly, I think we, we do that in all of the categories of people serving here. As shock absorbers, I think our church should continue to select deacons not as individuals or teams in order to run their own ministry. You think of these three people might have a hobby, so let's just kind of keep them quiet and give them a role over here. We shouldn't select people or choose people to do that kind of thing, but we should continue to select deacons who are capable and desiring to involve the church within the area of that gospel work. So an example of this, Karen Jones leading the outreach ministry team. She sees her role not to do outreach on behalf of EMV. You know, we have an outreach team of three people. It's not their job to do outreach. It's their job to get us, you, me, the church, to do the work of the ministry. Or another example, Katie Streck, who oversees as a staff member our nursery ministry. Her job is not to do all the babysitting in the church. Now, sometimes she has to because someone calls in sick, or maybe it's that time for her and Johnny to sign up during that time of the month. But her job, Katie's job, is not to do all the babysitting, but to recruit you and I, us, to watch over little ones so that their parents can come into this room and hear the gospel and be fed by the word. She's serving us by getting us to do ministry so that we can continue to do ministry. You see how this is executing gospel ministry rather than delegating gospel ministry, I hope. They aren't doing this 
for us. We aren't outsourcing these tasks to them, but rather they're enabling us to be involved in gospel work. Elders can help this by communicating with deacons regularly on an energetic basis and on a regular basis. If anything, I've learned during this whole COVID season where our regular Sunday was shut down, and so a lot of our ministries had to shift in a lot of ways. One thing that I learned about myself is that I actually don't delegate as well as I thought I delegated. It's easy for me to publicly complain, but I've learned that it's actually difficult for me to say, hey, here's my public complaint. Can you please help me with this? Or can you come alongside this and do it better than me? Or can you just run with it so that I can devote myself to this? And that's really what we see deacons doing is picking up the slack of the church's mission and going down the field with it. I think often during this time uh, how people like Mark Arnold or Jay Fletcher in our church, uh, they, they will often come up to me and they'll ask about something, but it's with that caveat that they're asking for permission. They're not asking for like, hey, did you know about that? It's like, hey, did you know about that and can I do something about it? I love that kind of attitude. You know, they, they will come up and say, hey, do you like that? And secretly, I don't. And if you don't, then I'm just going to go fix it. And that's really what we see deacons doing, right? They just pick up and they go. The servants of the church aren't standing on the sidelines hoping that a good game is being played. A deacon of the church is someone who, even if they're not allowed to play on the game, they somehow get themselves on the field to where now we have to do something with all these servants here. The shock is the pressure of things like having a lot of babies in our church, which is good. Having lost people from the community coming into our church, that's really good. Let's meet them. Or having people wanting and needing to know the gospel. Great, let's set up classrooms or life groups for them to taste and see of the mercy of Christ. The shock is all of that coming on our church, but the absorption is the delegating gifts through the servants of the church. You know, Lord willing, after COVID, as I've been told by many widows in this church, we will have more and more babies in this church right? And it felt as awkward for you to hear that as for me to hear that from them. But if we somehow have more babies of the church, we will need more servants of the church to watch or to care or to redo some walls or to retexture some places because we know that those babies represent parents who we want in this room singing, praying, and exalting the name of Jesus. And so we see how all of these things, well, they're a shock, but they are absorbed by saints of the church that we call deacons. Last, there's the role of the deacon, there's the qualification or the gospel aim of the deacon, but also there's a heavenly reward of the deacons. The heavenly reward of the deacons. There are some who will instinctively see the office of the deacon or the practice of deaconing as a second-class office or a second-class role or a lower office than that of elder or that of a staff member. But that's just scripturally untrue. It's unbiblical application. And honestly, it breeds of satanic thought and ecclesiological infighting. And as long as I'm here, I just won't stand for it. The appointing of the seven in Acts 6 can be seen as saving the church from disaster. The worst thing that can happen to a unified body of believers is for that church to split. And that's exactly what was happening in Acts 6. So praise God that seven of these people either stood up or were called out and they saved the very church from being disunified. In our own case, the use of welcomers at the doors 
helps the skeptic come in and see us as welcoming. The use of outreach team members helps us to go to the needy. The the finance team helps us put our money where our confession is. And on and on we could go. In C and Acts 6, the church was on the brink of being divided, possibly permanently, but deacons are needed, were needed there, and are needed here in the church to care for the physical and practical life of the church with the view of the church's spiritual health growing and the aim of heaven as their reward. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 says that all gifts are from God and are given according to His will. And Paul uses the analogy of the body to illustrate the point that all members of a church are necessary for the very church. Not only are there hands and feet and eyes, but also those are supposed to operate together. Charles Spurgeon says that the church owes an immeasurable debt of gratitude to those thousands of godly men and women who study the church's interests day and night, contribute largely of their substance, care for the poor, cheer their ministers, and in times of trouble and prosperity, remain faithful to their posts as advancing people to heaven. The role of the deacon is vital to the life and the health of the church, and although they might work closely with the elders, the deacon doesn't serve any elder. They don't serve the body of the elders. They serve, while they might follow the elders, they serve the church. So when you think of the glory of a specific church, many things might come to your mind. You and I will have a visible image, maybe in our idea of the, of the best times of VMB, or maybe a time when you were at another church where it was just an incredible time because of X or Y. We all have this idea of what a perfect church looks like, but Paul is clear that the church cannot function properly without the contribution of every member's gifts and service. You think about the gravity of that? Friend, if you're here and you're a Christian and you're a member of EMB, it's not just that we want you here, but Paul is saying that we actually need you here for our spiritual benefit. It may look practical, it may look theological, but it is very important to our own advancement. And some of the most needed work is often done sight unseen. You think of the woman who spends her nights or days off calling, writing, or visiting a widow across town. You think of a man who sets aside a great fortune and tells his family of his desire to adopt another child. Or the couple who wakes up early on a Sunday morning in order to listen to the sermon together because they were serving the day before in the nursery or in childcare. Or you think of the child who collects change from wherever he can find it so that he can buy clothes for those who grow cold as they sleep outside. Or the single man who constantly battles loneliness, but he shows up early to open the doors and wave and welcome those who come to church so they'll never feel alone. Many of those around us each Sunday morning experience some kind of desperate situation. You You think of all the things that are going on in your own life, And then you combine that if you came with anyone else. And then you combine that with the rows around you. This room is full of, if anything, of really desperate cries out to the Lord. But friend, know this. God has deemed fitting for the deacon to be there. The unsung hero, the congregation who works to give the cup of water to the thirsty, a hug to the forsaken, and even something as overlooked as order to the unkept books of the church, or a middle-aged saint who shows up at 9 a.m. to tell a kid 
who he hasn't seen in a long-fought week. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Our scriptures outline and exemplify the thankless task of the deacon. And it promises the good standing to those who serve in the office faithfully. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13 says, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Think about that. The confidence that is in, that is in Christ Jesus, they gain that through their service towards others. Now to conclude, some of you know that my sister's marriage two years ago was broken and a divorce was given. There were scores of people who helped her day and night, most unconditionally my own parents. A church that they had been attending for seven years at that point but had never joined actually brought her in during that time to be a member with them once all of this unfolded before their eyes. And I well up inside at the little things that these members did. How, how we might ask, will a 33-year-old girl with four kids under the age of four ever move on from such an event now that she's brought into a membership? Well, in many ways, I don't know if she ever will. I don't know if this season of life will ever end in her own lives, but until she's in glory with her Savior, until that time, it was her church's servants who paid for her counseling, who made her food, who cleaned her house, who mowed her yard. And when she shows up on, I did this like 40 times last night, so I wouldn't do it. When she shows up on a Sunday morning with three two-year-old boys and one four-year-old girl, it's a deacon who meets her at the front and takes her kids away and another one who takes her to a seat so that she'll never be alone again. The sounds of heaven are never an isolated voice. And a deacon helps turn up the volume of the sound of heaven. A deacon is a Christian who has been brought high by the death and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, but a deacon is also someone who leans low because they remember that it was there in the valley where their Savior served them. So yes, our church boldly has elders, and our church necessarily has servants because who would we be without them? Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you with great confidence and joy, knowing that you had thought of us when you ordained and established your people, your church. We pray that you would raise up deacons within our body who will seek and serve those of us who you've brought us in communion with. We pray that our church would grow increasingly strong with the deacons and deaconesses that we do have. We pray that we would be a people who look quickly at those around us as we march towards Zion. We pray that you would protect them, that you would guide them, that you would encourage them, and that we would be a mark to the world because we are doing something that the world knows nothing of. Being saved, we seek to serve because in saving us, you served us so richly. We pray this in the name and in the power of your son, Jesus. Amen.